Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Well, welcome again as we go back to Luke chapter 14. We're close to finishing out this chapter before we begin our summer series here in a couple weeks. As I ask the question, what's your excuse? What's your excuse? Imagine planning a wedding. You set the date. You send out save the date announcements. You book the hottest venues. You order the most beautiful flowers. You choose the the best menu. You narrow the the guest list to your most closest, dearest family and friends. And then you send out the final invitations of reminding them. You've been dreaming for this day your whole life. Everything is placed. The date has arrived. The event begins, but to your dismay, no one shows up. You are sitting there in your best. Everything is laid out. The doors are open, but the hall, the venue, the seats are empty. To add insult to injury, you begin to receive text from your friends and family offering all sorts of different lame excuses of why they have decided not to attend your special day. What type of emotions would that bring in your heart? It might be depend on some, some it might be you just want to just cry, you just want to just die. You might become so angry maybe even in a rage. Today we're going to see in Luke chapter 14, verse 15 through 24, the same type of event. What's your excuse for not attending? Two weeks ago, Jesus went on the offensive at the uh, dinner party of the prominent religious leader by pointing out the characteristics and attitudes of true discipleships or disciples of Yahweh. He warns his audience that the Lord will exalt only those who show humility and generosity in their hospitality and interactions with others. Remember, Jesus is at dinner at a prominent religious leader. They are angry that he healed someone on the Sabbath. Jesus then turns and and tells them that they need to be generous, uh, um, humble uh, uh, host at their homes. Things are not going so well at this dinner party. Now, as we continue today with this dinner party, we're going to see that Jesus warns them about the rejection of his invitation and that a rejection of his invitation comes with dire consequences. With that, look at Luke chapter 14 and let's look at verse 15 here on the monitor again. But again, I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles, bring something to write with. We do have message notes back there. When one of those, uh, Luke continues, says, when in one of those who reclined at the table with him, speaking of Jesus, Heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And yes, Father, that is so. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And I pray that all that hear my voice this morning or watch it later on video or whatnot, Lord, that they too will be blessed in the fact that they have received that invitation. They have accepted that invitation and they are anticipating that invitation and that reunion. Father, I pray that you just be with us this morning to open up our minds and hearts. 
And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just do the work at working in our hearts. It may be in removing something, remodeling something, renewing something. Father, it may be rebuking, encouragement, and exhortation. But Father, let us be open to whatever the Holy Spirit has for us this morning. In your name, amen. The dinner conversation on the Sabbath continues as Jesus sits among his dinner companions. One of the attendees that is sitting next to Jesus finally seems to have something kind and encouraging to say when he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. A very safe topic. Historians, excuse me, note that this was a common saying and was possibly intended here to change the uncomfortable subject, to shift the focus away from the need to care for the poor and the infirmed, and onto a topic that the majority of Jews would agree on, the feast of the kingdom. The Jews believed that when the Messiah returned and set up his kingdom, that it would feature a great feast in the company of Abraham and the Messiah, and was only for the Jews. This event is described in Isaiah 25. I believe we have it here on the monitor for you. Where the prophet Isaiah says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well and refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. This sounds like a wonderful time, a wonderful place. Maybe familiar to those who are familiar with Revelation. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in this salvation. So it's with this verse, this background, that this religious leader's pride led him to believe that he had a guaranteed place in the kingdom of God, just as all religious leaders and pious Jews would believe. To them, Jesus' talk of humility, generosity, repentance would have been shocking and silly. As we shall see as we work our way through the Gospels, Jesus' teaching and preaching and warnings serve to only make the majority of the people more stubborn and hard-hearted towards Christ. However, Jesus is not going to let this man, a man's attempt to deflect go without using the moment to confront their error. Yes, that is a great phrase. Blessed is he who will eat at the kingdom, at the table, at the kingdom. However, he's going to use this principle or use this, use, teach a parable to teach a principle that reality is greater than sentimentality. In other words, it's okay to say this is wonderful, but reality is much harsher than just your feelings or your thoughts. In other words, this man's profession of faith or belief does not guarantee him inherent entrance in the kingdom. It also does not give him a seat at the table of the wedding feast in Luke. Look at with me at verse 16 as Jesus then uses this moment to zero in on what this man's belief was. But Jesus said to him in verse 16, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. 
And at that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Now, you may notice that at first they accepted the invitation to the great banquet. But then when the time came, they refused to attend when the when the time arrived for it to begin. Now, two invitations were customary with the upper class in those days, as there would be initial invitation, kind of a save the date. This is happening. And then there's an RSVP followed by the preparations of the host. And then the final come to say, now everything is ready. Now come to the banquet. However, as the host is checking everything and putting the final touches, he notices that no one is showing up. The hall, is bank- the hall, the banquet is, is empty. The food is there. His servants are ready to serve him. Their fine clothes are on, but no one is there. Surely perplexed and anxious about his banquet, his servant returns and recounts that all of those invited had stated that they will not be attending after all. Now, we all know that sometimes things do come up, right? That we could not have planned for that keeps us uh, from attending something that we had first said that we attended. Maybe we missed the date in our calendar. Maybe there's a medical emergency or some other type of thing that just pulls us out of way. But as we look at here, Jesus is going to point out that the reasons are not very good. They very offer very lame and weak excuses. Look at verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses for why they could not came. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. In 19, one says, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, at first glance, they may seem like legitimate excuses, but consider the fact, surely the man must have already seen the land before buying it. He could have attended the banquet, then gone seen the land. The land's not going to change. There's nothing going to be different about the land. Number two, the man who buys an animal or a car or any other type of possession, sight unseen or even tested to see if, the, if they are healthy and able to do the work he intended to do. Who would do that? Why would he go have to go prove a, a, a five yoke of oxen? Wouldn't he have tried them out and made sure they were in good condition in the first place? Or to the man who accepted the invitation to the banquet before the marriage. In those times, as we mentioned several weeks ago, marriage happened a, almost a year after the engagement. He would have had known well beforehand before accepting the invitation if, he was, if there was a conflict, if he could not attend. What Jesus is actually pointing out that these men were more interested, listen to this, in their lands, their animals, and their family than the banquet. And that might dictate some of us. Yeah, we we care more about our family. We care more about our possessions. We care more about the things we have than some just silly invitation. However, too many possessions, finances, and family to many are more important than the things of God. So we must realize as we think of this, this is a parable. This is not just talking about just a simple banquet. We're talking about the kingdom of God. Thomas Schreiner in his commentary on Luke, Luke's gospel comments you see here on the monitor, that Jesus explains that those who say they have such interest in the kingdom feasts do not actually delight in the kingdom. 
So there's that sentimental, you know, that I love the kingdom. I, I want to go to heaven. I, I want to be part of God's family, but yet they do not actually delight in the things of God. To those who say, yes, we love the church. We want to be part of the church and God's family, but yet there's no delight. And so when we meet here at 1040, many excuses come of why we cannot be together, why we can't attend. Never realizing that one day we will have to stand and give an account of what you did on Sunday at 1040. Did you attend my church? Were you part of the family of God? Did you engage? Is that some of the things we'll be speaking about in our adult core class? Again, I want to encourage you for that. So there are many times, I love Jesus. I love being a Christian, but yet we don't truly delight. Our words and our actions do not compute. They do not measure together. This man may profess that he's bound for the kingdom of God, and that he's looking forward to the blessings of the banquet. But in reality, his heart is far from Yahweh. It's far from God. Jesus continues the parable in verse 21. Look again. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, well, then go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame." Understandably, the host was angry at the attitudes and the response, and he considered it very disrespectful as he had accrued a great cost in preparing a banquet for those he considered his friends. At any rate, he was not about to cancel the banquet as the food is already cooked and ready to go. So he sends out his servants to bring in those considered uh, outside of society and typically would never have been invited to the banquet. The streets would be the wide, broad thoroughfare of the city. We might think of like Tustin, while the lanes would be the alleys and the hideaway places of the city. To the pious, pompous Jew, those would be inhabited by those that, would, that, that many would prefer to avoid. They were populated by the beggars, the conmen, the undesirables, the homeless. Interestingly, this is the same group that Jesus had encouraged his disciples to invite in Luke 14, 13, when he says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. So he says, you know what, then get those who do not deserve to come in. Bring in those that we would typically ignore. The servant obeys his master. He goes out and does so. But as we read in verse 22, that still doesn't fill all the seats. As he looks out, he sees that now he has some in attendance, but there are still seats that are open. So in verse 22, the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done. And there is still room. And the master said to his servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Underline that last line, that my house may be filled. That's so important. He now sends his servants to the outlying areas of the city, to the people that he would have no contact with, complete strangers. Highways of those days were situated outside the city, just as they are today. They connect the various villages and towns and cities together, and they were at times very dangerous as travelers were in constant threat from robbers and thieves. So those might be some of the people that the, that the servant would go out and say, come to, this, to come to the banquet. 
The hedges refers to the country lanes and the faraway places like farms and pastures. You and I might call them the boonies today. I don't know if that term is out here, that the boonies, they're way out there. They're country bumpkins. They're backwards. They're common people that only came to town for supplies. In those days, they, these types of people were not given any type of consideration as potential uh, guests for banquets and other social events. You see, what we see here is the master instructs his servant to compel people to come in that my house may be filled. He is determined to follow through with his banquet and he wants the house filled. His instructions to compel them doesn't mean that he wants his servant to go out and force people to come. He doesn't want them to come out there and put them down on the ground and handcuff them and then drag them in chains to the banquet. But to use earnest persuasion and insisted hospitality. No, I, I mean you. Yes, we want you to come. And you could imagine their phrases or their, their things. But I'm not dressed. I don't know who your master is. Or well, wait a second, but I, I'm going home. I, I can't take a detour to go to your master's house. Or are you sure that he would want me to come? Yes, it's insisted. You can imagine that many people would be wary, wary of this type of in invitation as they may not consider it a genuine or very out of the norm as they would usually not be invited to such affairs. Dr. Schreiner notes that the reluctant invitees were resolutely urged to come. Yes, we desire to come. Please come. Jesus ends his parable in verse 24 with a warning that promises dire consequences for those who made those lame excuses, for those who reject the invitation. Look at verse 24. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. There will be no opportunity for changing the mind of those who rejected the invitation. There will be no second chances. They will find that they are not only not welcome, but forbidden to entrance. Hey, I checked the ox and I'm ready to come. Oh, I looked at my land. It looks good. So now I want to attend. Sorry. No entrance. You may not come. But, but I have an invitation. Here it is. No, you may not attend. Now, you may recall that parables are earthly stories that teach a heavenly or spiritual truth that typically has a shocking ending that calls for repentance from those that hear or read them. That's a parable. It's a story with a shocking ending that calls for repentance. So as they look at the, hear this story, it's shocking to them, one, that the, that the master would invite the crippled, the poor, the lame, and then go out and invite others that, that they would deem unnecessary or out, uh, uncouth. And then to continue to go out. But not only that, they would have been shocking to them that they would then be left out for once rejecting it. This parable serves as a metaphor or as more as an analogy in that its fictional characters and settings represent true ones. First, God the Father is the master, the host, the one who is preparing a great feast. The invited guest, and we have to remember as we're speaking here, Jesus is ministering specifically to Israel. He's their Messiah coming to share with them that I am here. I am the promised one, the anointed one. So the invited guest is Israel, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the ones invited to this banquet. 
The feast is a celebration of the restoration of the kingdom of God, as we saw in Isaiah. The outsiders, number four, the outsiders are the Gentiles who are not considered invited, uh, or are Gentiles who were not considered invited by the Jews. These are not people that they would ever consider to invite. And then lastly, what we see is that there will be many Jews who will not be able to attend the celebration. That's what Jesus is teaching here. And this is what is shocking to them. This is the call to repentance that Jesus is doing. As this man says, blessed are those who are going to eat. This parable would have reverberated throughout the room like a shockwave. It would have upset many. If they were not upset with Jesus, with his healing of the man on the Sabbath, his rebuke of their pride and lack of generous hospitality, then this would have sealed the deal. After all, they were children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the recipients of the Mosaic law under the covenant of Yahweh. They were the apple of Yahweh's eyes. How could this be that they would be refused to enter? However, they have no reason to quarrel or complain with Jesus' teaching and his dire warning. Theologian Walter Leafield remarks that any who are excluded from the kingdom only have themselves to blame. Like the invitees of this parable, Israel has been pre-invited through the Old Testament. Remember we talked about two invitations. One is the pre-invitation, the other is when it's ready. They have been pre-invited through the Old Testament commands to be ready for the Messiah. For him to come and his promise to restore them, as we read earlier in Isaiah. Yahweh had sent Moses, Joshua, Judges, and the prophets all to declare his word and and to give his invitation for them to come and join and sup with him. He has installed priests and kings to rule over them and instruct them the requirements of the kingdom and the expectations for his children. Yet, like Jesus' dinner companion... The Jews were guilty of false professions of faith and prideful, stubborn, hardened hearts. They assumed that their heritage, their traditions, and self-righteousness would guarantee them a spot at the table, yet they were sorely wrong. Instead of enjoying an eternity in the presence of Yahweh and the Messiah, They find them outside, just as Jesus warned, as you see here in the monitor in Matthew 7, where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, uh, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your names and do many mighty works in your name? Jesus says, then I will declare you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You workers of iniquity, as it would say in the King James. No entrance. You may not come in. Your lame excuses were not accepted. And you refuse entrance. Summarizing this parable, we learn that Yahweh has chosen Israel, his children. 
He had instituted a special covenant with them and and he delivered them from famine. He delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He provided water and food in the wilderness. He gave them victory over their enemies. He secured their inheritance by allocating them land in Canaan. He revealed his promises through the giving of the law and the writing of the prophets and the poets. He had invited them into a special loving relationship And he promised to set them aside to restore their land and to enjoy God's presence forever. Sadly, tragically, they rejected his anointed one, his only son, the son of David. Instead of receiving Jesus, they instead made excuses and eventually sought to kill him. This rejection of Jesus' ministry led to their eternal rejection. So the question is, as in this parable, who does God turn then to fill in his house? And so here you and I stand as we see that in this parable, you and I are the outsiders. We are the country bumpkins. We are the ones that were outside the promises of God. As Paul writes in Romans, is as, as God has set the Jews aside for the rejections and he's brought us into the kingdom and given us an invitation to come and to enjoy him forever, as the Westminster Confession says. Going back to that passage in Isaiah, some of you might have caught that the invitation would include more than just the physical children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For the prophet declares, and I'll read it once again, on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of of aged wine well-refined. Why the Jews thought they were the only ones is beyond me. And here it says for all peoples. Now this is not all humanity, but for all peoples, nations, and tribes of all various kinds. And this points to the new heavens and earth. As you might have been reading Isaiah, you might have been reminded of many of the verses that we've read lately in Revelation, especially the one we just read here just a little bit ago with our scripture reading. When the father gathers all of his children together at the marriage supper of the lamb, turn quickly, if you would, to Revelation 19. We want to look at that once again. Last book of your Bible, Revelation 19, near the end of the book. John, the beloved apostle, has been tortured and exiled to the island of Patmos by the Romans. There he is given a vision of things that must soon take place. He is shown visions of things here on earth and of things in heaven. We read this earlier in our scripture reading. And again, Revelation chapter 19. Look then, begin with me at verse 1, I believe. And after this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory belong, and power belong to our Lord. Then look at verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and the, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. 
It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? Does that phrase seem similar to what the man said earlier in Luke? Blessed are those who are invited to the kingdom. Blessed are those who, or to everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. As you can see, this last verse mirrors the sentiment of Jesus' dinner companion. But this time it comes from those that are actually in attendance. Now, several things need to be understood about this marriage supper of the Lamb. Number one, this dinner is only for those who have accepted the invitation of Christ. It's only those who accept it. What's that invitation? Is repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Or repent. Uh, repent for the... Now I can't even get it. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's for those who repent and put their trust in Christ. It's to be reconciled to God. It's the ministry that we've been got, given. And only those who've accepted that invitation of Christ are in, will be able to receive entrance. This dinner is a family gathering of all, all of God's children. Whether we're outsiders, lame, crippled, doesn't matter what society thinks of us, we are all children of God, and it is a family affair. This dinner is a joyful and peaceable event. Now, this maybe sometimes seems uh, kind of like, what in the world is a dinner event without a little bit of rancor and anger. I mean, have you ever sat down for dinner with your family or extended family, Thanksgiving, Christmas? How soon does it go from a peaceful event to just an event where you have a lot of squabbling? But this is a eternity of joy and peace. But what we also see is all who eat of this meal will no longer suffer from hunger or thirst. This is the culmination of all things when God will be with us and we will be with him. Again, referencing John the Apostle's vision found in the book of Revelation, we read, seen here on the monitor from Revelation 5, 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, speaking of the Lamb, Christ. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. For all peoples, Revelation 7, 9 to 10. I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Similar to what we read in Isaiah. You see, I added you underline a passage earlier. The Father is determined that his house will be filled. He is indiscriminate and no respecter of persons. He does not care where you come from, what you look like, who your heritage is, what road you're on. His God is no respecter of persons. He invites those that he has chosen. He does not respect your position or power of those he invites. He displays generous hospitality to those who will accept his gracious invitation and will embrace them as children. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe on the name of Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's the invitation of Christ. And all who accept that are, are gaining entrance into that great banquet. 
But I'd like to make a few application points for us to consider, to pray and respond on. First, let me ask you, what do you love more than God's presence? What do you love more than God's presence? Is it possessions? Is it family? Is it just spending your time doing what you want to do? In what ways have you made lame excuses of why you cannot follow Jesus? See, there are many who make a profession of faith. Their sentimentality is, yes, I love God and I love his church and I love his people. But yet, where are they? Remember the old thing? Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door. Here's all the people. The other end is, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, where's all the people? talking about that again as we see church attendance declining, declining, declining. But yet they're still professing Christ. They're still professing, yes, we are going to be there when Christ returns. If I were to die, I would go to heaven today. I just can't go to church. I can't be part of God's people. I can't read God's scripture. I can't obey his commands. You don't understand. I've got things to do. I got people to see places to go. Are you guilty of making a sentimental profession of faith, but in reality you're still rejecting his call to come and follow him? Again, I want to encourage you to be here next week because there are many who say that they've accepted that call. But next week Jesus is going to lay out exactly what it means to follow him and to accept that call. If so, please do not delay, but quickly respond to his invitation. For you do not know how long that the Spirit will work in your heart and say, come, come, come to me. For there may be a time where the Holy Spirit and the work of the gospel is released and says, I'm sorry. And the day he returns or the day of your death, you may be knocking on the gates of heaven. Let me in, let me in. He says, no. But I did all these things for you. I did attend church. I did these things. And says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Secondly, for those of you that are weary for waiting for that wonderful day, you received that invitation. You accepted it gladly. You are living that life joyfully, but yet you're becoming weary in living in this world. You are struggling in battling sin. And you're wondering when that, when you will finally be delivered from the presence of sin and embrace, receive the embrace of our loving Father. Let me share with you, do not despair. Do not be weary in doing good, Scripture says. You and I need to be vigilant. We need to be patient. We need to be fighting sin. We need to consider the testimony of the church of, of Thessalonica. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians, if you would to that first chapter. Again, I invite you to join with us as the men and, and many others are reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 through 3 every day during the month of May, 30 days at least. In here, he's, he's writing to a group of believers that he spent about three weeks with. It was a difficult time. But I just, I, I think I'm going to do a message uh, uh, sometime soon on 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's just a great, great book. But look at verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians. 
and he's speaking to them. And he says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. So the testimony, the, the characteristics of this church is starting to reach the news of Paul who's in a different city. He says, how you turn from God to idols to serve the living and true God. So if you want to know what it means to be a disciple of Christ, if you want to know what it means to accept the invitation of Christ, it means turning to God from idols and to serve the living and true God. But listen, that's not all they did. Look, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, and Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, you and I need to understand is that he's called us not only to, to accept that invitation, but we are, as we've said before, we are to be anticipating that day when he comes and says, it is ready. He is preparing these things for us. Our inheritance is kept in heaven. We have been pre-invited, so to speak. But the day is coming when he will say, come, join me. We are to be eagerly waiting for that day. Living for him. Jesus informed us that there would be delay in his returning in order that all may come to repentance. We must adopt the words of Paul that was written to Titus, that the grace of God empowers us to train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope. It doesn't matter about lands or animals or family. Everything must be centered on the fact that Christ is coming again, the appearing of our glory, of our great God and Savior. You and I are to be waiting for that blessed hope, that confident expectation that God fulfills his promise. So when that invitation comes, we do not find ourselves making lame excuses. Do not come yet. I've spoken before how many times I want the Lord to come. But then there's times where I say, well, Lord, can you wait until this happens? Can you wait until that happens? Can you wait until this event? You know, maybe Landon graduating from high school, Nolan graduating, maybe their marriage, then their we just continually put it off. But yet we complain about this world. Our sentiment, our sentiment is, yes, I want God, but yet really you and I are living in the world. We're frolicking in the mud while desiring the clean clothes of Christ. Thirdly, and this is most important for the crowd that I have here this morning. While you and I are waiting for Christ's return, we are to be out in the streets and lanes of the cities, the highways, and the hedges, compelling people to taste and see that is good. So in this case, you and I are also the servants as the Holy Spirit works through us is you and I are to be about not just our, our, our regular uh, circles of influence, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, inviting them to taste and see that God is good, inviting them to church, inviting them to the kingdom of God. But you and I need to go out to places where we're uncomfortable, to the places that we do not know, inviting people that we might be uncomfortable around, encouraging them, resolutely urging them 
an insistent invitation. Yes, we want you. And I'm not speaking just here of the church here physically, though that's what we do because we share the gospel. We want them to be part of the church of the family of God. But yet we want to invite them to the kingdom where all things are made new, where God will wipe all tears from our eyes. Let me ask, are you compelling people to come to Christ? As ambassadors of Christ, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation by sharing the good news. And I'm afraid that many of us will stand before God. And when he says, give me account of your time, your energy, your money. Did you talk more about movies and music and sharing TikToks and Instagram pictures than you did about come to Christ? And I'll have to say, just honestly, I believe many of us are going to be found wanting in this area. Well, everyone I know is a Christian. Well, what about those you don't know? There are more that you there are more people you do not know than those you do know. That's just the law of averages. But are we compelling? Are we sharing the good news? Jesus declared that he has come to seek and to save the lost. We should be doing the same. Not that we can save them, but we can share with them the life-saving news of the gospel. Let us be about the Father's business as he's given us in Matthew 28. Make disciples. Go you therefore in all the world. That's not just missionaries. That's you and I. No other priorities are greater than that of the Father's will. There is no excuse that you can have that is going to make it cut when it comes when you stand before God in the beam of seats. Your lame excuses will burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. So let us celebrate. I've given you some harsh words this morning, but I mean it not so much as a rebuke, but encouragement. But if the rebuke is there, let us receive it. For I need the rebuke as often as you do. Let us celebrate that God has endeavored to invite us into his presence. Let us be encouraged to continue the work that Christ has given us to make disciples. Let us be committed to being faithful as we await the final invitation to come. For his house will be filled. And I'll tell you what, I want it filled with as many as my family members as as I can make possible. I want to invite all of my friends as much as possible, accept Christ, taste and see that God is good. I don't want them to just think good thoughts about Christ. I want them to live out Christ in their lives. I want them to join me in waiting for Christ's return, knowing that we will hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And for any who reject our message, and there will be many, for those who reject and ridicule us to many relationships we may lose because of that, we may say, you have no one else to blame but yourself. For I have done all that God has called me to do. May the Holy Spirit work. Why that God's house may be filled. I pray that you will join us in that wonderful day, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where he brings all things new. Let me close with Revelation twenty-two seventeen. It's a word of encouragement. The spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price.
come. For the banquet is ready. With every head bowed and every eye closed as the worship team comes up, I just wanted to encourage you again to pause and think a minute. Where are you in that story? You might be the Pharisee, the religious leader. You think that your, your place in heaven is guaranteed. But I would encourage you, as Paul says, test and examine to see if, whether you truly are of the faith. He says, make your election sure. These things I've written that you may know that you have eternal life. Make your eternity secure. Let it know that you are truly in the hand of God. Be ready to work for the things of Christ. And may we all be ready when it says, it is time. Come. Randy? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.